0: Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this special time of year when we remember how you left heaven's throne and took on a body of flesh, a helpless baby. The word made flesh to come to redeem us. Thank you, Lord, for living that sinless life and being willing to go to the cross that we might be saved. So, Lord, as we celebrate this season, help us remember what it's all about, that it's what you've done for us and the incredible price you paid to redeem us and make us your own. We praise you and thank you for that. Now, Lord, as we get into your word this morning, we pray that you'll, again, we're asking that your Holy Spirit be free to speak to our hearts to encourage us, to convict us, to, to change the way that we think so that we might be in line with your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our Christmas message is going to be next Sunday. It's hard to choose which Sunday it's going to be, but since it's so close to that uh, uh, next Sunday, we're going to have it then. Children can be dismissed for Children's Church. It's good to see Luke back with us for a Sunday. Um, so, uh, but we invite everyone to join us for that Christmas Eve special on six thirty on Christmas Eve, Friday, um, and you'll you'll really enjoy it. It's very good, great production. And we'll follow that, as I said before, with a carol and lighting of the candles. And if anyone hasn't gotten their gift in, we do have one more day. If you haven't got your gift in yet, let me know. Um, uh, They're going to come Tuesday and pick up the gifts, so you can still get them in tomorrow. I think we got all the gifts that, uh, except for the one that's coming from Amazon tomorrow to my door. (laughs) And I'll pack it and get it here. So today we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. If you're a guest with us this morning, we just worked through the scriptures and you happen to have joined us at this particular passage. Now next week we will have a special Christmas message and our New Year's message is going to be a little different. It's not going to be in 1 Corinthians um, either. So, um, But today we're continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read verses 1 through 9? But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Cephas, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So the first, going back to the first verse But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul's about to give them some uh, some words of, of discipline, of correction throughout this letter. But that doesn't mean that they weren't born again. They understand and have received the meaning of the cross. They have the gifts of the spirit. He just told them that they have the mind of Christ in chapter 2, verse 16. So our passage today starts with this this conjunction, but despite all those good things, they were still carnal, immature believers. And that must have really shocked them for, as we're going to see later in the letter, they thought they were uh, spiritual superstars. In the introduction, he told them that they weren't lacking in any spiritual gift as they waited for the Lord's return. And Paul's now starting to give them a dose of reality. Spiritual gifts do not equate with spiritual maturity. He'll be telling them in a later chapter how they needed the boundaries on the use of those gifts and to be more considerate of others when they express them. Their lives needed to come in line with what they knew and believed. Christians, even those who express gifts of the Spirit, can be people of the flesh. Other translations use the word carnal or worldly. A few verses later, Paul's going to use the expression, you're merely human. They're still brothers and sisters in Christ. However, they're still infants in Christ who are not living by the Spirit. Their behavior reveals the truth about their maturity. They're still self-focused. They interpret the word in a way that suits them. They're like a teenager, and every parent who's raised a teenager can relate to this, who thinks they know more than their parents. In the case of the Corinthians, the immaturity exhibited itself in their factious behavior. The carnal man is characterized by division. Division is striking proof that a man or a people are carnal, whether the division be in the church or in a family. Verse 3 tells us it was also expressed in jealousy and strife. We see other areas it it was expressed as we go through the letter. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, The author explains that infants in Christ have not trained their powers of discernment by constant practice to discern good from evil. They're not yet familiar enough with the scriptures to know whether it is from their own mind or the gentle voice of the spirit. How do we know when a deeper teaching is valid or if it's a distortion of God's word? How do we know when someone's really inspired and sees some deep truth or if they've been misled or leading others astray? We learn to distinguish the difference by training our powers of discernment on a constant basis, the author of Hebrews said. Is what I'm hearing just my mind or is it the Holy Spirit? Testing your power of discernment will teach you over time, to distinguish between good and evil. It's to watch for the fruit or the teaching of of that teaching or that idea. See what comes out of it. Does it bring unity? Does it bring a blessing? Or does it bring division and strife? It's to be able to put it alongside the scriptures and see how it lines up. Does it feed the untamed ego or does it glorify God? We test it and learn from it and our powers of discernment grow. Then and only then are we ready for more meat. I recall one man who was was following my sermons online and he'd write me by email now and then and uh, he, one time he said, why don't you talk about the gifts of the spirit more often? I could tell he was really adamant about why I should emphasize that. And I explained that well. we preach through the scriptures, so the, the, Frequency of which we approach a subject is how often it comes up in Scripture. And we do that intentionally because it brings balance. But then when a sermon came up on the fruits of the Spirit, I happened to explain that the fruits of the Spirit are more important than the gifts of the Spirit. That really upset him. You see, what was happening here in Corinth was the gifts were all being manifest. But the fruits were bad. Strife and jealousy and division. Later on in Corinthians, we're going we're to see that in chapters 13 and 14, how the gifts are priority. Are the, I'm sorry, the fruits are a priority over the gifts. They don't replace them. They just should be together with them. Sadly, he quit following my sermons. He wasn't ready to digest the meat. He wanted to hear what pleased him and exalted his own opinion of himself as a spiritual giant, when in fact, he was a babe. He didn't want to test his opinion with scripture. The Corinthians had this same issue. They had the gifts of the spirit, but the fruits of the flesh. They hadn't yet learned the upside down ways of the kingdom, that the greatest is servant of all. Our emphasis should be the same as scripture. We may enjoy one topic more than another. We may focus on one, more than another, but if we do so to the neglect of the rest of the teaching of scripture, we'll be out of balance and create disunity. Verse two, I fed you with milk, not solid food for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it. You see, this letter was written to the Corinthians five years after Paul planted that church in Corinth. He spent a year and a half teaching them the fundamental truths Of the gospel. And that whole time he had to keep teaching them the basics of the gospel of grace and humility until they got those truths in their hearts. He couldn't teach them the meteor truths. If he did, they would misinterpret what he was teaching. That's because they would interpret the teaching in a carnal way. For example, if he taught they were to be free in Christ, to be led by the Spirit and not the law, they would think that their own thoughts were leading we're the leading of the spirit, which is another issue that we, he will have to address later in the letter. I heard a story about a preacher once who, who uh, was called to a church, and uh, he, you know, usually when uh, a church is trying to find a new pastor, they'll have him come and preach a message so they can see what his delivery's like, what what kind of uh, subjects he likes, and so forth. And uh, pastors have have a funny phrase for this, they say whenever they do that, they present their sugar stick. That means their very best sermon, because they want they if they want to get that particular job, it's one of those sad side of ministry that people don't just pray about it and churches just pray about it and go where they're called, where they both feel the calling of God. And so he preached a sermon, and they thought, Wow, that's a great sermon. Let's call this guy. So they called him, and he came and started. Uh, to be the pastor of the church. The next week, he preached the same sermon. And they thought, well, that that's that's a little strange. So uh, they thought, well, okay, well, let's see what happens next week. Next week, he preaches the same sermon. So the elders call him aside and say, Pastor, um, you preached the same sermon three times in a row. He said, yes, and I'll keep preaching it until the congregation hears it. Um, I'm sure you're thankful that I don't follow his example. (laughs) Yet, as we go through the Bible, it's interesting how the messages that we need keep coming up again and again. That's because God so orchestrated his word to express our greatest needs. You know, one time a man slipped into our congregation who was sharing what sounded like deep truths that nobody had heard before, profound mysteries to anyone who would listen. The only problem was he had some very sinful patterns in his past um, that uh, are on the national registry and didn't let the elders know about that. And he was attracting people to his unique teachings and he uh, appeared to be meaty truths from the word. But meat is not secret Knowledge or mysterious hidden treasures in Scripture. Beware of a person who constantly wants to bring up new teaching. The Word of God has been studied for 2,000 years, and the depth of what we can get from the gospel is more than we could ever preach in a hundred years. The desire for new and hidden and, and is appealing to our ego. We want to know something no one else knows this wonderful truth. It makes us feel like we're more enlightened than others. It makes us feel su- superior. Spiritual hunger, on the other hand, is wanting to understand the depths of the basic truths of the Bible. That's me. Meat can be insights into scripture that we haven't seen before, but more often, it's a revelation of how we can die to ourselves to allow Jesus to live through us, the life of Christ to be manifest in our mortal bodies. Are you ready for that? Paul told them they were not ready. Until we take hold and live the gospel basics, we are not ready. D.A. Carson wrote, That maturation will disclose itself in a growing ability to take in more and more Christian truth. It will also show itself in a large-hearted attitude that avoids quarreling and jealousy and refuses to sink into narrow factionalism. The Corinthian factionalism was expressing itself in an attitude of, "Our groups better than your group? Verse three and four, for you are still in the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul used the words people of the flesh in verse one, meaning human, merely human. The word flesh here in this verse though is is slightly different. It means to be dominated by the flesh. Their lives were demonstrating little difference from those people who didn't know Christ. What they thought was being spiritual was breaking the body into factions. Jealousy and strife are not the least of the symptoms of fleshly living. Those sins are more destructive than many Christians seem to think. They are far from being petty sins because... Among other things, they cause division in the church, Christ's body for whom he gave his life. They are among the surest mark of fallen humanness, just as unity is one of the surest marks of divine transformation. That's from John MacArthur. Wisdom is spoken to the wise who have the mind of Christ, but those who are still worldly just aren't ready to receive it. They need the milk, the basic meaning of the scripture, the basic Bible knowledge, which will renew their minds so that their actions follow. That's best for the babe in Christ. But if they stay a babe and don't show signs of trying to get up and walk in the Spirit, something is wrong with their development. The signs of their fleshly state in Corinth were jealousy, strife factions, and glorying in men. Their eyes were not on Jesus, but were on their favorite teacher. And it's, a, it's an all too common problem, even to this day. We may relate to one teacher more than to another, but that doesn't mean that we should be a follower of that person. Everything said by any teacher should be judged by the word. We should listen to different interpretations and pray and search out the scriptures to discern what interpretation is correct. Every human is flawed. Every human has weak points. To follow man instead of Jesus is to set ourselves up for disappointment. The world follows men. The church should follow Jesus who is the word incarnated, and is who is the head of the church, Ephesians 1.22. Paul will ask them later in this letter to be imitators of him as he follows Christ. The qualification is as I follow Christ, and that is essential. If anything he does is not Christ-like, they weren't to follow that but do follow the examples that leaders set that do line up with the life of Jesus. It's essential to understand that carnality is not an absolute state in which a believer exists, but a behavior pattern he chooses one moment at a time. To say it another way, a Christian is not fleshly in a sense of being, but in the sense of behaving. Jesus is our righteousness, but every moment we choose to walk in him or our old nature. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. God gave the church. God gave the church. Prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers who are just servants to equip the church. Servants, in this case, is the Greek word that's the equivalent of a waiter, diakonia. It just means to, to like one who serves plates at, at a restaurant, like the busboy. They serve the food, which in this case is the spiritual food, but it is God who supplies the spiritual food. He can use any old bush. It all comes from him. He's responsible for our faith. He's responsible for our salvation. He is responsible for our spiritual growth. Our eyes should always be on him, not on his instruments. Moses didn't take Israel back to Mount Horeb to worship the bush. All glory to God alone, the fire in the bush, amen? At the same time, we're to hold them highly in love for their work and follow good examples were taught in first Thessalonians 5 12 and 13 we should do so recognizing it's the grace of God in them that makes them who they are if God should take his hand off that servant you would no longer see the anointing that caused you to admire him Ezra and Nehemiah frequently said such and such was accomplished for the gracious hand of our God was upon us When I read Ezra and Nehemiah, that that just stood out so powerfully because it's repeated again and again and again. This was done because the gracious hand of our God was upon us. They gave God the glory for what was accomplished. Jesus told a a parable about a slave owner whose servant uh, plowed a field. All day he worked in the field. And then when he came home, as it began to get dark, he cooked the meal for his master. And Jesus says, the master doesn't say, thank you for working all day and then cooking my meal. How gracious of you. No, it's his duty to do. And Jesus follows that up by saying that we should have the same attitude. No matter what, how hard our day is, how long our day is as we serve, it is our duty to serve our King, amen? And woe to us if we don't do what is our duty. Moody told of an inebriated man who approached him and he he said, Moody, I'm your disciple, brother. And Moody is reported to have said, you must be my disciple because if you were the Lord's disciple, you wouldn't be drunk. I have a friend, a sad sad story, I have a friend who followed a pastor who led him to the Lord, and his eyes were on that man. When that man backslid, my friend also fell away from following Jesus. We're to make disciples, but if there are disciples and not the Lord's, we've failed in our mission. The Great Commission isn't to make disciples of yourself, it's to make disciples of Jesus. God's servants are merely his servants and they have free will to continue to follow or stop following. Pastors should never be given the allegiance that belongs to God alone. Verse six, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Everyone has their task in the body of Christ. Some plant the seed of the word of God. Others water it with good teaching and encouragement, but growth only comes from God. I often hear someone with a gift tell others that you should do what I'm doing. I'm doing this, 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 and this, and God's really blessing me. But our callings are unique. Just be sure you find your calling from God. God brings the growth. Are you growing or are you stagnant? Are you my disciple or are you the Lord's? Are you here because you like this style of preaching or because the Lord called you here and is speaking to you through his word and causing you to be more like him? Verse seven, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Preachers, teachers, evangelists, elders, all are nothing without the Lord. Pharisees taught the word of God and they often distorted it in the process. But the Lord told the people to follow the teaching but not their example. Without the hand of God on the one who ministers, without their personal relationship with Jesus, they are nothing. All the good they do is from God. Never trust man. Always trust God. I'm often confused with how, or I'm sorry, confronted. I'm often confronted with how fragile human life is. Death can easily knock on our door, here one moment, gone the next. A car crashes, a rock falls, an allergic reaction, and suddenly we're standing in his presence. Our life is truly a mist that's here for a moment and then gone. Oh, that the gracious hand of God might remain on us for this moment, and that we might follow faithfully the calling he gives each of us until we graduate to glory. Verse eight, he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. The servants are part of the body of Christ. It's our oneness in Christ that should eliminate all jealousy, strife, and selfish motivations. Together we serve for the honor of our king. Just as all the cells in the body work for the common good and sometimes sacrifice themselves for the good of the whole. It's an amazing thing about how the way the body works. What an example. No wonder we're called the body. Together we serve for the honor of our king. And so all believers in their various callings work together for the glory of God. We're all rewarded with eternal life in the presence of our Savior. However, each one will be rewarded by God to the extent of their obedient cooperation with the Spirit. Because God is completely just, every laborer receives just compensation. What that is, we can hardly imagine, but we kind of get a glimpse of it in Revelation chapter 4.10 when the elders cast their crowns down at the feet of Jesus. The fact that God rewards us according to what we do is mentioned many times in Scripture. Wages, you'll see wages sometimes, or reward is that Greek word, misthos. And it's also translated higher. In other words, payment for service rendered. It can be meant as a reward or as a punishment. The wicked will be rewarded with punishment. It's basically what you deserve for what you have done. I understand the word to be the product of the justice of God. God did not ask you to serve him without rewarding you for that service. He deserves to be served for we, are all and for we are and all we have comes from him. But his justice demands equity, whether blessing or punishment. That's why Jesus had to take our punishment. You, the justice means God could not just look the other way. For we are God's fellow Verse 9, we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Elders are God's fellow workers. In other words, they are appointed by God to care for God's vineyard, another metaphor, faithfully shape the stones of the living temple. That's a privilege, but it carries quite a responsibility. There are many metaphors for the church in scripture. A field was used by Jesus in some of his parables. Seed is planted in the field, and depending on the soil condition or the weeds, it bears a certain amount of fruit. Elders are tasked with cultivating that field and planting it with the word of God. We encourage people to break up our heart's hard ground so that the seed of the word can take root and produce fruit. The Apostle Paul liked to use the metaphor, a building, uh, a building of living stones. Peter also used the same analogy. and We have to be shaped to fit together. When the temple was built, there was to be no sound of a hammer in the, at the, where the stones were put together. Did you know that? All the stones were hewn off site and then hauled to the site. They were quarried, most of them for the temple were quarried underneath Jerusalem. There's a cave, some people call it Solomon's Mines or or Zedekiah's Cave. It's it's a, a huge cavern, the biggest cave in Israel. Some of the stones that came out of that cave were as big as a bus. We're being shaped here to fit in God's heavenly temple made up of living stones. The preaching and the teaching of the elders, the difficult lessons of life, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and conflict with our brothers and sisters in Christ are all God's chisel to take off the rough edges so that we fit smoothly together as a church here and in the heavenly temple in the future. You know, if you go to see some of those foundation stones today You can't take a piece of paper and fit it between those stones, as huge as they are, some of them hundreds of tons. Our passage today has challenged us to look at our lives and see if we're maturing or if we are stuck in the infant stage. Are we training our powers of discernment by applying the word? Are we welcoming the convictions of the Holy Spirit? Are we dominated by the flesh or by the spirit? Are we humbly serving others or seeking to have our own way? And do we see our leaders as God's servants and give glory to God alone for what is accomplished? Are our eyes on man or are they on God? You are God's field. How are the crops coming along? Is your ground of your heart broken up to receive the word of God? is the word taking root and producing fruit unto God. You are God's building, a living stone. As a living stone, are you fitting together with your fellow stones that make up the building? Are you fitting in or isolating? These are the challenging thoughts that the Holy Spirit is putting before us through his servant, the Apostle Paul. So take them home with you and meditate on them. See what the Lord is showing you through this passage. And I'm going to ask Jill if she'd lead us in a closing song.